I would like to dedicate today's talk to the brave women and men of Iran who are demanding their basic rights. The first question people always ask me is why I became interested in Laura Barney's life. It was in the year 2000 when I heard that her family home, studio house in Washington DC was being sold and its content auctioned. This was the house that Laura and her sister, Natalie Barney had inherited after the death of their mother, Alice Pike Barney in 1931. In 1960, Laura together with her sister donated the house to the Smithsonian Institution. At the time, all I knew was that Laura Barney was a Baha'i and had compiled an important book. I visited the house and I got interested in learning more about her. I found very little published material about her, so I started my research journey, a journey that I found fascinating, that never stopped and result in presentation of papers at several conferences, publication of few articles and chapters of books, and finally publication of her full biography, The Life of Laura Barney in 2002. Today, I will try to focus on how Iranians and Iran changed the life of this remarkable woman. Who is Laura Barney? What was her childhood like? Did she visit Iran? Why did she learn Persian? What was she doing in Paris? What attracted this privileged woman to a faith emanating from Iran? What are some of her accomplishments? Why was she decorated twice by the French Legion of Honor? And why was this woman called a global leader and someone who had performed noble deeds? Laura Clifford Barney was born in Cincinnati in 1879 to wealthy parents. Her father, Albert Clifford Barney was an industrialist and financier. Her mother was Alice Pike Barney, a prominent artist, philanthropist, civic leader, and the daughter of a multimillionaire entrepreneur. Albert and Alice had two daughters, Natalie born in 1876 and Laura in 1879. The family moved to Washington DC in 1889. The sisters had a rich and privileged life and grew up in luxury. The two sisters were sent to a private boarding school outside of Paris at a young age. And later, Laura attended a private school in Washington, DC. In 1900, Laura returned to Paris to continue her education as an adult. It was that year that she attended a meeting at the home of May Bowles, an American woman who was among the first group of Westerners 
who had visited Abdul Baha in Akka, Palestine, today's Israel. Abdul Baha was the son of the founder of the Baha'i faith who had been exiled to and confined in that prison city. He was the appointed leader of the Baha'i faith after the passing of his father. As a spiritual leader and an innovative Iranian thinker, he promoted social change and progressive developments. Soon after hearing about this spiritual leader, Laura traveled to Akka to meet him. After meeting Abdul Baha, who was still in confinement, she realized that the teachings he was promoting were what she had aspired to, and she became a believer in the Baha'i faith. Laura's attraction to this new faith was mostly because of its teachings of equality between sexes, world peace, and the oneness of God and humankind. Laura Barney returned to Akka the following year. On this second visit, Abdul Baha asked her to accompany Abul Fazal Gol Payagani, an Iranian Baha'i scholar, to Paris and then to United States. Abul Fazal was the most erudite and the greatest Baha'i scholars living in Egypt at that time. She accompanied him to Paris, and after three months, she accompanied him to the US, where he stayed over two years. During his stay, Laura deepened her knowledge of this new religion and started learning Persian. Her mother had also become interested in this real new religion. Her mother had also become interested in this religion and she painted a portrait of Abul Fazael, which is now at the Smithsonian National Museum of American Arts. Because of their social status, there were frequent write-ups about the Barney family in the local and even in the national newspapers. An article in the Washington Post of March of 1902 read, Miss Laura Barney, who is a Baha'ist, says that at Akka, one sees demonstrated, both in the family and the religious life, the harmony and love, which is one of the pivotal principles of teaching Baha'ism. A particular incident that had made Laura's father furious was the news of the publication of a book by Natalie in 1900. Natalie was an author, poet, and a rebel, and she later held literary salons for 60 years in Paris. She published a book about homosexual women with drawings done by her mother. The father was outraged that his wife and his two daughters were following unconventional lifestyles. This strain on his health resulted in a heart attack and he died in 1902. The father left his wife and two daughters a significant fortune. In 1906, at the request and suggestion of Abdul Baha, Laura, who was only 27 years old, 
traveled to Iran, the birthplace of her faith. She was the first Western Baha'i woman to do, do so. She was accompanied by Hippolyte Dreyfus, the first Frenchman from Paris who had become a Baha'i and a chaperone. Hippolyte had studied law and had a doctoral degree and was practicing before the Paris Court of Appeals. He later gave up his legal career to devote himself to Oriental studies, comparative religion, and learning Arabic and Persian. The two of them later collaborated on several projects. They first traveled to Ishgabat in Turkmenistan, where a Baha'i house of worship was being built. They entered Iran in June of 1906 and stayed for over two months. While in Iran, they visited Tehran, Rasht, Azvin, Esfahan, Kashan, Zanjan, Tabriz, and Malpu, and met with many dignitaries, government officials, prominent people, and Iranian Baha'is. Laura said that she was delighted to meet the crowds. Upon arrival in Iran, they spent one night in Ghazvin, the birthplace of Tahereh, the Persian poet and theologian who was among the earliest followers of this new religion, and the first woman to unveil herself in public in a gathering of men. After a grand reception in Tehran, Laura wrote, quote, of course, the spiritual quality of rarefied atmosphere of such heavenly assemblies where the distinguished members of the West and the East gather together in such a loving environment can neither be described nor recorded. It should only be seen." End of quote. She met another Iranian Baha'i scholar, Said Ahmad Musaviyah Hamedani, known as Sadr Sudur in Tehran. He was an Islamic scholar and had converted to the Baha'i faith. She spent several days and long hours engaged in asking him questions. While in Tehran, Laura sent a letter to her mother, reassuring her that she should not worry about her, stating that Iran was, quote, one of the most peaceful countries that she had seen. In another letter, she wrote that the Baha'is there were wonderfully sincere and kind, and the people she met were among the most important people of Persia. Also in every city, she visited the historical sites. Then they traveled to Tabriz in a Doroshke, a carriage. The governor at the, uh, and the agent of the crown prince Nezamo Saltane had asked that a person be present at every gathering they attended. His son met with them and asked them many questions. He made comments about Laura Barney's command of Persian, the fact that she had no accent like other foreigners. He said that she spoke, quote, 
better than many educated Iranians. They had to cut their stay short because of the constitutional revolution of 1906, which was underway. Several American newspapers reported about this trip. The Washington Herald wrote, Miss Barney is a young woman of many gifts and is endowed with originality and executive talent. In addition to her perfect mastery of French, she has gained vast knowledge in the Persian language in which she writes, reads, translates, and speaks fluently. Her devotion to the Baha'i movement, movement speaks for her broad-mindedness and proves her ardent desire to serve humanity. Her house in Paris has become, has been a delightful center and a gathering place for those interested in the higher problems of humanity." End of quote. After her return from Iran, she traveled right away to Akka. She wanted to express her deep gratitude to Abdu'l-Baha for this remarkable experience. She wept when she shared her experiences in Iran with him. Laura had spent from 1904 to the end of spring of 1906 in Akka, except for two or three short trips to Egypt. In Akka, she both posed questions to Abdu'l-Baha while he was still in prison, deepening her knowledge of the Baha'i teachings, asking him for, from her Christian perspective some of the topics she asked dealt with the prophets of God, the soul, fate, man's destiny, immortality, and life after death. She also posed questions related to Christianity, such as the rebirth of Christ, his resurrection, and the Trinity. She later asked explicit permission from Abdu'l-Baha to publish her collection of questions and his answers. He granted permission after every page of the Persian book was read, approved, and stamped by his seal, the seal that was used for his authoritative writings. And that is why the book that she compiled became a Baha'i sacred book. The book was called Some Answered Questions in English and was published in 1908. It was published in Persian and French that same year. This book, Some Answered Questions, became an essential and significant book for understanding the basic beliefs of the Baha'is and introduced this faith to the West. It was her greatest accomplishment. The English version has been translated into 40 languages and reprinted several times. The last edition was published in 2014. <clears throat> Another achievement of Laura Barney is the publication of a play. Two French playwrights intended to write a play about the Bob, the forerunner of the Baha'i faith 
and to have Sarah Bernhardt, the renowned French stage actress of that time, play the role of Tahere, meaning the pure one. Also, Oratul Ain, Consolation of the Eyes, who was executed at a young age in 1852. Her execution was because of her beliefs and for, for teaching them. Laura was shocked by, the, by what might be shown on the Paris stage about the life of the Bob. So she wrote an, account, an accurate play. It was called God's Heroes, a drama in five acts. The play was written around the life of Tahereh and was illuminated in Persian style. The script of Laura's play was published in London in 1910. The protocol among playwrights was that if someone was planning and working on a play, other playwrights would not use the same subjects. So this was Laura's defensive reaction to protect the ball. Newspapers in the US printed articles about its publication. The Indianapolis Star printed an article with the heading of Girl Writes Persian Play for Parisians and referring to the political circumstances in Iran at the time, it printed, quote, this Persian crisis has drawn much attention to the new play written by an accomplished and learned American girl, Miss Laura Clifford Barney for Theater des Arts this season. It continued, quote, God's Heroes is a play dealing exclusively with the modern history of Persia. Miss Barney knows Persian almost as well as she knows French and English. Hence the rich oriental metaphors one finds in the play and the flights of imagination such as are seen in the Robayat of Khayyam, end of quote. An article in the Boston Globe entitled, The American Girl Startles Paris, stated, Laura Clifford Barney of Washington, the author of God's Heroes, deals with great religious movement in Persia and martyrdom of consolation of the eye. The most wonderful Persian woman on record, end of quote. One of Laura's efforts during her life was her support of the Persian American Educational Society that was founded in Washington DC in 1910 by a group of prominent American Baha'is. The society was dedicated to the educational, economical and commercial development of Iran and its Baha'i community. The goal of the society was to assist with Persian educational projects and it needed the cooperation of the Iranian gov government to succeed. Therefore, the planning committee decided that the society would serve all Iranians. As soon as the mission and the structure of the society was established, an inauguration was planned and over 350 people including the representative of Persia to the United States 
and attended this gathering in January 1910 in Washington, D.C. The American minister to Iran also attended. The society solicited the donations of books and supplies in the U.S. to be sent to Iran for school libraries. They asked for financial assistance internationally and urged American Baha'is to travel to Iran to teach in schools. The establishment of the Persian American Educational Society had been prompted by the financial difficulties of the Tarbiat Boys School in Tehran, which had been established in 1899. American Baha'is financed the school and oversaw its management and the teaching staff. This partnership between Persian and American Baha'is prompted the opening of a girls' school in Tehran in 1911. Laura herself supported the society by paying for the scholarship for young boys. She advised the committee members to be more organized, to specify goals, and to carefully select members of the committee. She also emphasized the importance of girls' education in the society. It was in 1911 that Laura and Hippolyte were married and they adopted the last name of Dreyfus Barney. They had known each other since 1900 and had co collaborated of many projects and had realized that they had common aspirations. The same year, Abdul Baha, who had been freed from exile and imprisonment, traveled to the West for the first time, a trip in which Laura had a major role. It was Laura Barney who had invited him, and it was her husband who met him in Marseille when he arrived. Laura and her husband were with him during his stay in tonon le bain in France, a town by Lake Geneva, where he stayed for a few days. Next, Abdul Baha traveled to London and the Dreyfus Barney joined him there and helped with translations. Lady Blumfield, his hostess in London, wrote, quote, foremost amongst our visitors were Monsieur and Madame Dreyfus Barney, the brilliant French scholar, and his no less brilliant American wife, who spoke Persian with Abdul Baha, translated for him, and were all together helpful, courteous, and charming. They again hosted many meetings and accompanied him when he visited Paris in October of 1911. The following year, Abdul Baha traveled to North America. His travel lasted 239 days. He visited Washington DC three times and the home of Laura's mother at least three times and addressed the guests there. Laura accompanied him on several of his visits during one of his trips to Washington DC. I will share a side story. It was during Abdul Baha's travel across North America that David Starr Jordan, the president of Stanford University, 
invited him to give a talk at the university. Abdul Baha was called a peace apostle, a Persian prophet, a distinguished Persian, a philosopher, a wise man, and a spiritual leader by the Western media. He gave a talk in the main auditorium of the university holding near, nearly 2,000 people in which he discussed several important themes. He expounded the doctrine of a new day for universal brotherhood, the importance of scientific discovery, universal peace and religious unity. At Stanford University, Abdu'l-Baha had said, quote, God created one earth and one mankind to people it. Man has no other habitation, but man himself has come forth and proclaimed imaginary boundary lines and territorial restrictions, naming them Germany, France, Russia, etc. And torrents of pressure bloods are spilled in defense of these imaginary decisions of our own human habitation under the delusion of a fancied and limited patriotism, end of quote. An article was published in the Palo Altan, dated November 1st, 1912, titled, Abdul Baha, the Baha'i prophet speaks at Stanford. The article reported, the venerable prophet with his long gray beard and Persian cloak and turban gave a true impression of the reincarnation of the far Eastern prophet of old. It continued, it seems to be a notable day when Abdul Baha from the far country of the Orient met with Dr. Star Jordan of the far Western shore, shore both carrying the standard of international peace and universal brotherhood. The article continued, Abdu'l-Baha carries the message of religion and Dr. Jordan carries the message of science, both aiming for one great result. As all men are the children of one God, so are they all brothers and we are at the dawning of a new day when the relationship of world fraternity will be seen and recognized." End of quote. The Palo Altan continues, quote, if the founders of the Baha'is Baha arose from the ancient plains of Persia and sent out the true message, it matters little whether Persia is of the East or the West. From the cradle of human race and the oldest nation of the world comes a voice reaching down the centuries to bring a message of peace to this strong young giant of the West, bidding America to usher in the dawn. End of quote. Abdu'l-Bahá returned to Paris in January 1913 after his trip to North America. 
the Dreyfus Barneys again hosted many meetings and accompanied him during this visit. They were with him when the Orientalist Edward G. Brown, who was a friend of Laura and Hippoly, and his wife visited him. Towards the end of 1913, Laura and Hippolyte started a trip to the region of the Eastern Asia. They visited Japan, Korea, and China, and had planned to travel to India and Iran. But while they were in China, World War I broke out. They were forced to sail back to the US and then back to France. During the war, Laura served as a night nurse with the American hospital in Paris. She also volunteered her services with the American Red Cross and helped with the refugees in several, several regions of south of France. And Hippolyte assumed his military obligations. Laura was awarded the Chevalier of the French Legion of Honor in 1927 for her work among the wounded in World War I. And later she was promoted to officer of the French Legion of Honor in 1937. At the end of the war in 1920, the Dreyfus Barney embarked on their trip that they had to cut short years earlier and spent about a year and a half traveling from Marseille to Egypt to Palestine, where they visited Abdul Baha, then to Dutch Indies, today's Indonesia, French Indochina, Singapore, and India. While in India, they had an audience with Mahatma Gandhi and met with the Indian po poet Tagore. It was in Myanmar that they heard the news of the passing of Abdul Baha in 1921. This was shocking news and they curtailed their travels to join the other Baha'is in Haifa in February of 1922. Laura lost her husband Hippolyte in 1928. She was not yet 50 years old when she became a single woman. She lost her beloved mother a few years later. Her mother, Alice Pike Barney, passed away one month after presenting her ballet, The Shepherd of Shiraz, at the Hollywood Ball, the prestigious outdoor amphitheater in Los Angeles. After World War I, Laura cho chose to work in social and humanitarian arenas in line with the religious principles she had accepted. She became active with the League of Nations, the predecessor of the UN. The League was the first international organization whose principal mission was to maintain world peace. She also became an active member of the International Council of Women and was its representative at the League and later at the UN. Having seen the horrors of war firsthand, she said, quote, in a way, all these horrors are a good thing for the future generations who see what war means, not simply, simply chivalry and medals. I think that women will be a great help to get out of this horrible habit of the past. 
For the remainder of her life, Laura rendered many services with numerous responsibilities. One of her responsibilities in those years was serving on the International Committee on Intellectual Cooperation, a committee that was precursor to UNESCO. Some of the distinguished people who had worked with this committee were Albert Stein, Mary Curie, Thomas Mann, and many others. During the spring of 1934, Laura organized the first International Con Congress of Educational Cinematography under the auspices of the League in Rome. The inaugural meeting of the Congress took place in Rome and Benito Mussolini, Prime Minister of Italy at the time, and other dignitaries spoke. Major international organizations were invited on the suggestion of Laura, but she was the only woman delegate to the Congress. Laura Barney noted in closing the report of the Congress, quote, in conclusion, let us come to what is the fundamental preoccupation of our committee, peace and mutual understanding between peoples. End of quote. In 1935, she was invited to give talks in Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, and Greece. As a brilliant speaker, she gave talks at important venues about peace, disarmament, and bringing people of different cultures together. One newspaper reported, it was she, the American woman transplanted to France who was able to put her roots down there to serve a greater homeland, that of men of goodwill, whose prestigious adventures of the spirit I wanted to know. Then the reporter continued, Madame Dreyfus Barney's astonishing personality and her lucid intelligence are self-evident. I admire this elite woman who knows how to think globally at a time when so much hatred and so many minds make brothers into enemies and once again, the threat of war returns. At the onset of World War II as an American, a quarter Jewish and Dreyfus as her husband's family name, which is a Jewish last name. She was encouraged to leave France. She traveled to Washington DC in 1940 and stayed here for 66 years and remained active. Upon her return to Paris in 1946, she found that her home had been pillaged by the Nazis and her belongings stolen. The most valuable of her losses were handwritten memoirs and notes from her early trips to Accra and Haifa. Despite my research over the year, I had not found any of her stolen belongings and documents. However, in 2017, I was able to locate some rare items that she had owned that were listed in an archive in Munich. 
among those items were two valuable Persian language books by Saadi, a 1932 edition of Golestan and Bustan with leather covers and illuminated pages. Laura stayed active until the end of her life. A reporter who visited her and her sister in Paris had this to say about them in 1965, when Laura was 86 years old. She wrote, quote, though the Barney sisters have remained close friends over the years, their attitudes and occupations have separated them diametrically. Dream noble deeds, Laura. Don't do them all day long, Natalie once said jokingly to her sister. But she continued that Laura has continued to do her noble deeds and the world is richer for them." End of quote. In 1966, 87-year-old Madame Barney, as she was called in those days, was invited to attend the International Congress of Women that was taking place in Iran. She was invited by the sister of the Shah, Princess Ashraf Pahlavi, who was going to chair the conference. Laura was very interested to return to Iran, but her health did not allow her to attend. In her later years, her mind was still sharp even though her body was handicapped by rheumatism. The life of Laura Barney, this extraordinary woman came to an end in August, 1974 in Paris at the age of 94. According to her wishes, she was buried in the same plot as her sister, Natalie, in Passy near Trocadero. Newspapers on both sides of the Atlantic, such as the Herald Tribune, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Le Monde and Le Figaro announced her death. Obituaries were written about her and each one looked at different aspects of her life. An obituary in the Washington Post Reported, reported that her interest extended from the International Council of Women to local philanthropic projects in Washington, DC. It mentioned that she was a member of the Baha'i faith and compiled some answer questions. The headline of a newspaper in Laura's home state of Ohio read, quote, her noble deeds enriched world. The article stated, quote, trying to get a complete outline of Madame Dreyfus Barney's life is like trying to put together all the intricate design in a Persian carpet. Someone who knew Laura Barney wrote, with her keen intelligence, logical mind, and investigative nature, she devoted her whole life from adolescence to improving humanitarian human relations, bringing together people of different races 
classes and nations. He continued, those who had the rare privilege of knowing her over a period of many decades can testify that her undaunted zeal for the objective of the brotherhood of man remained alive and glowing to the very last day of her life on earth. This was a glimpse into the life of Laura Barney, some of her accomplishment and with a focus on her connections with Iran and Iranians and how they changed her life. This privileged woman worked for the causes and activities based on the principles that were dear to her heart. She challenged many of her immediate social norms and selected a path different from what her social milieu would have dictated. She could have selected a much easier path in life. Laura Barney was transplanted to a different country, but she did not have to choose between her two homelands. She believed that one is never without roots when one can serve the great homeland. She tried to bring the world closer together and devoted her life to humanitarian activities and creating mutual understanding between people. This remarkable woman had an intense attraction to the teachings that had come from Iran. It was meeting an Iranian spiritual leader that changed her path in life into one of selfless service to humanity. Perhaps that meeting was a pivotal point in her life since she devoted the rest of her long life fervently committed to raising awareness to those principles that were instilled in her. Laura Barney received answers to her religious questions from Abdul Baha at a young age. She always remembered that he had told her to, quote, seek worldly outlets in all her actions. Laura Barney said that he had advised her and those near her not to keep for ourselves alone what he has in, entrusted to us for humanity. That is why she devoted her life supporting and working voluntarily for organizations that fostered the principles dear to her heart. It was this new religion that had emerged from Iran that impacted the life of Laura Barney in an incredible way. It was through women and men like her that the noble principles of peace, unity, justice, education, and the rights of women were projected to the rest of the world. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share about one aspect of Laura Barney's life, that of her connections with Iran and Iranians and how they transformed her life. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was wonderful and very detailed and thorough. We have a couple of questions and comments coming in, so I'll get straight to them. 
One viewer writes, thank you so much for the educational and insightful talk. Did Laura write or maybe express in her play how Tahare's life, poetry, and the conference of Badasht inspired her to aspire to all she did? It seems in a way she took a similar path to explore endless possibilities rather than accepting certainty. Um, I read God's Hero many years ago, and I reviewed it recently. It's about the life of Tahere from uh, her youth until her martyrdom, her execution. Um, no, she hasn't written as how they, they inspired her, um, but she just wrote the play to protect the Bob, and it's a very interesting play. And uh, she actually sent a copy to Abdul Baha and he approved it and he said all the details were correct. Um, it was translated into Persian and Arabic. Some later years, she says that some of the characters are fictional, but everything else is historical. So it's a historical account of uh, Tahrir's life. No, she didn't write as how that has influenced her uh, uh, her endeavors in life. I hope I answered the the question. Thank you. Um, um, another viewer writes, may I ask how you collected all of these fascinating pictures for the presentation and that you did a wonderful job. And I'm wondering if you could also say a few words about your research process and how you track down the archives and all of the material for this extensive biography. And as I said at the beginning, I started my research at the Smithsonian Institution Archives. That's where they hold the um, Laura Barney's mother archives. They, at the time, they had 30 boxes, which I reviewed and I made copies. They have letters, manuscripts, documents, and pictures. So that's where I started. I have done research in both Baha'i and non-Baha'i archives in Israel, France, England, um, United States, um, uh, East Coast, West Coast. Uh, so most of my pictures have come from those archives. What was the second question, the second part of the question? Um, how you found all of the images for this presentation, if they were in those archives or how you put together the photos? Yes, the, the uh, pictures come from the archives where, where I have researched. Uh, mostly from Smithsonian, some from two archives in France, and some from uh, 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 Smithsonian's museums in Washington, D.C., besides Smithsonian archives. Wonderful, thank you. Another viewer writes, what other American Baha'i women was Laura Barney influenced by? I understand there was a delegation of other Americans she traveled with when first meeting Abdul Baha in Aqqa. There was a group who, uh, a group of Westerners, Europeans and Americans who traveled to Aqqa uh, in late 1900. May Bowles, the person that Laura heard about the Baha'i faith from her was among them. It was Phoebe Hearst from California who had started that trip. And they were a group of Baha'i women and men who traveled to Aqqa. Um, Perhaps Laura was the second group. They were a group of Westerners, again, from England, America, and Laura was at the time living in Paris. Uh, so there are quite a number of them. 
they are numerous. Thank you. Oh, um, and the, uh, the, the question also asked who was the other person, Laura influenced. There is an American artist who is a Baha'i also, Juliet Thompson, who was studying in Washington. Uh, uh, Juliet knew Laura's mother, they were both artists. And then it was through Laura that uh, uh, Juliet um, became a Baha'i and traveled to Akka to meet Abdul Baha. Thank you. Another viewer writes, thank you for a great lecture on the life of this exceptional woman. Given the fact that Baha'is were freely exercising their faith in Iran at the time, why was Abdul Baha incarcerated? It was Abdul Baha's father who was sent on exile um, several decades earlier. And I don't think at the time the Baha'is were free. I know several of the dignitaries that Laura and her husband met in Iran. Uh, they were Baha'is in heart, but they were not Baha'is in public. So not many people knew that they were Baha'is. I don't think the Baha'is were free at the time they traveled to Iran. Thank you. Another viewer writes, thank you for your presentation. What can you tell us about Ms. Lakhmi who accompanied Laura to Iran? It was Ms. Lachene who traveled uh, with Laura as a chaperone, as an escort. She was a French lady who was a Baha'i also. I, uh, my research, in my research, I have found that they had a lady who was there, like a governor, governess to them, who was called Lachene. Uh, somebody who has done extensive research on uh, the Baha'is in France has not been able to find much more about this lady, and I haven't been able to find much more. But as I said, there is a reference in one of the biographies of Laura's sister, Natalie Barney, that refers to a Madame Lachene, and I believe it's the same woman. And I don't have anything more about her after that trip. Great, thank you. Uh, viewer writes, can you please expand on whether Laura Barney has any living relatives? That's a very good question. Laura and Hippolyte did not have any children. Laura's sister was not married. So they, she didn't have any immediate relatives. She had distant cousins. And one person that has been named in many of her obituaries as her next of kin is a distant cousin, uh, David Bruce, who was the American ambassador to France. American ambassador to Germany, American ambassador to England, and the ambassador of United States to China. But recently, actually last week, at a presentation, a virtual presentation I was giving, two ladies who attended, they informed me that they are relatives of Laura Barney. So I'm very excited. I had a short meeting with them and I look forward to uh, gather some further information about Laura. I've been told that there is a box full of information. So I cannot wait to get my hands on that box. I have researched about Laura's life 21 years for the for the for the biography and uh, it continues. I am continuing my research 
And I'm interested to hear about people who have met her or people who have further information about her. That's wonderful, thank you. Um, how is Laura remembered among Baha'is today? You know, as I said at the beginning of my talk, when I started my research, there was little written about her. Perhaps most Baha'is know that she compiled that important book, which has become a sacred book, Some Answered Questions. The preface of that book is hers. There are few pages written by her. Besides that, there are only few articles that have been written about her up to the time when I started researching. Maybe maximum was a 10 page article. So they all respect her, but I think this, before this biography, they didn't know much about her. I doubt many Baha'is would have known where she learned Persian. Many Baha'is would not have known where she traveled in Iran, the people she met, and all the activities during her two months in Iran. So there is not much about her before the publication of this book for the Baha'is. Thank you. Is Dr. Dreyfus related to the Dreyfus family of the Dreyfus affair? He is not. He is not. He is not. Actually, one reason that uh, they may have, the reason the Nazis may have uh, piloted her home may be because of that last name. But I have a whole section in the biography explaining the Dreyfus affair and what was happening at that time in those years in France. Great, thank you. What is the significance of Laura Barney's philanthropic work and charitable efforts in today's time? Is the question as to whether they have continued or philanthropic? Let me just answer. And if this is, doesn't satisfy the, question, the person who asked the question, I try to say it differently. She, her mother has founded an uh, organization in Washington to promote arts and culture to the disadvantaged people. And then after she passed away, Laura continued her help with that uh, uh, organization. It was called Neighborhood House. Later, it was called Barney Neighborhood House. And it was in existence until two, three years ago. But recently I haven't, I cannot see them in existence anymore. So she was supportive of that organization almost all her life and especially after the passing of her mother. It was located in Washington DC and they provided services for free. And her, she supported many organizations during her lifetime. As I said, she donated her, um, her family home to Smithsonian Institution in Washington, DC. I've been told by somebody who was close to her that her apartment in Paris was donated to Legion of Honor. I contacted Legion of Honor, but I wasn't able to get a, a response from them. She donated all her mother's artwork to Smithsonian Institution. She even donated um, objet d'art and jewelry to Smithsonian. Some of them are online and one can see. And 
She supported the Baha'i institutions locally, nationally, and internationally. So she had a lot of philanthropic um, efforts and projects that she supported. Thank you. Um, as a reminder, there's a link in the chat where you can learn more about the book. I wonder, as we're uh, running out of time, maybe I'll ask two last questions and you can choose how you'd like to answer them. You mentioned specifically that this is a full biography, and I wonder if you could say a little bit more about what you mean by that, and also maybe a little bit about who you hope the audience for this book is. Thank you so much, Roma. Um, I say full biography because at the beginning, I had a choice to focus on her Baha'i activities, somebody else who could, would have, who could have been interested in her life could have focused on her international activities, activities with the International Council of Women. Someone else could have concentrated the biography on her work with the League of Nations, United Nations, and all the committees that she served throughout her long life. I, I, decided to, to have a full biography and have all those activities in one, in one biography. So it's a thick book. It gives the reader the possibility of selecting what he or she would like to read. If they are not interested in her sister, they can skip that. If they are not interested in reading about her, the details of her Baha'i activities, they can skip that. It has a, a long table of contents, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad my publisher accepted to leave it the way it is. It's about five or six pages, the table of contents, so people can select which parts they can um, read. And then, as you said, who would be the readership? I think historians, I think perhaps Iranians, perhaps feminists, people who are interested in humanitarian activities, peace, um, people who are interested in, in the work of a pioneering woman, people who are interested in traveling in those years. She has written a, an amazingly interesting travel log of her travels to Indochina in 1921. And I hope somebody one day prints that. It's a manuscript in a format of a manuscript now, it's fascinating. And I have tried to summarize it. And of course, I think the Baha'is would be uh, another group who would be interested to read her biography. Thank you so much, Ms. Khadami. This was a wonderful presentation. Um, more information about our upcoming events are also in the chat, as well as a link to the publisher. We wish you all the best and thank you for visiting us today. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much.